Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This has been Globe Media Network Podcast. This is Central Texas Living with Ann Harder. Running for elected office is not for the faint of heart. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Central Texas Living, the podcast. My guest today is Rob Kernock, who has thrown his hat in the ring a few times in order to run for Congress. His new book, Dead Man Running, chronicles the trials and tribulations of running for office. Rob, it's good to see you. Well, thank you, Ann. It's good to be here. I just want to, I should give a warning before we go any further. Okay. This book is so good. Once you read it, you're probably never going to want to read another book. <laughs> or maybe run for office. <laughs> well, that too. No, there are positive sides to that. <laughs> but this, this book, though, uh, Rob, has, has been many years in the making. It took me three years to write. Yeah. And uh, I started relatively, well, probably within a couple of years after the, oh, t- the 10, 2010 race. And that uh, was the last... Right. I got into a runoff with Bill Flores Mm -hmm. and it was kind of one of those deals. We knew whoever won the runoff was going to win the seat because when I'd run in 08, we damaged the incumbent so badly. I mean, he barely survived me and he outspent me 2.1 million to less than a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, we could not raise money because nobody gave us a chance. Hence the name dead man running. We just, nobody thought we had a prayer and so nobody would really help us except grassroots. So, well, let's go back to your early days. Uh, you're not from Central Texas. How did you get to Central Texas? Oh, well, my father worked at a VA hospital uh, his entire career. So the veterans affairs and veterans issues was always kind of big to me. And he worked with the uh, soldiers that came back from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, you know, with arms and legs missing and paraplegic, et cetera. And he he would make things that would make their lives easier. That was his job. Uh, he retired in 1976. Um, this was outside of Chicago. And then uh, at that point, I was just getting out of high school, so I had to figure out what to do. I didn't have enough money to go to college because my parents had basically spent what money they had on my two older sisters. So it was like, well, if you're going to do something, you're going to have to do it yourself. And uh, they moved to Arkansas and a a, a small town in northwest Arkansas called Berryville. And I was down there for about three months. And finally, I said to my mom, "Um, you remember Uncle Bob? He was he was my uncle that uh, had once offered me, hey, if you ever want, I can maybe get you in one of the Chevy factories up here because he was a big shot with General Motors. And so I said, hey, would my uncle still have, you think that might, st- that invitation might still be open? And she goes, well, let me check. So anyway, uh, I wound up, uh, to get money to go to college, I wound up becoming an auto worker in Buffalo, New York. So I traveled up uh, uh, there, never had been there before. And the book talks about, you know, my first time going there. And it was like 
I, I felt like Columbus. I, you know, I was at the end of the world. I didn't know where I was going. I'm a 19 year old kid, not knowing what's going on. Uh, anyway, so I worked at the auto factory, got enough money to go to college. And then I just started looking. And I also went to the University of Buffalo while I was working full time at the auto. Uh, it was a forge and we made parts for cars. But um, once I got enough money that I felt I could do something, I started looking through college handbooks and Baylor just kind of stuck out at me. Really? There was no other real connection you had to Baylor? None whatsoever. Really? Believe it or not, the, the biggest connection, and people laugh when you say it nowadays, but the biggest connection was I could afford it. Yeah. You know, it was it was so affordable back then. Plus, it was a Christian college. It was in the South. I wanted to experience living in the South. It had big sports name. I wanted to experience that because the University of New York at Buffalo was basically a commuter school. And so, you know, it had none of that. So for me, this was like a totally different experience. And uh, my mother and I came down and looked it over, uh, you know, at one point. And I was like, okay, this is this is where I want to go. And that's so I ended up down here, didn't know a soul, um, but the rest, as they say, is history. So you majored in what? Was, that, was it well, broadcasting? Well, I switched from business to communications. Communications, and, yeah, right. Uh, journalism slash communications. I had a history minor. Um, ironically, I I got out of business because I didn't like any of the business, you know, like accounting. I went through the class. I got a C plus. I had no idea what I did. It was all monkey see, monkey <laughs> De- do. Debits and credits. And I stuff. had no clue. And then computer and science statistics. Again, oh. no, no clue. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? Maybe business isn't for me. And so and that's why I wound up uh, going into the communications. Mm-hmm. And journalism. And yeah. coming out of Baylor, then you, uh, is that when you worked for KWTX, Channel 10? No, actually, I worked at a, a one radio station down here while I was in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had another, I got in another radio station while I was, when I was in between semesters. Um, and then I got an internship at a CBS TV affiliate in Buffalo, New York one summer. Um, it was the first time they'd ever had anybody from Baylor. They never even heard of Baylor. And it was, <laughs> it was kind of cool. Yeah. But, uh, so I got the internship and it was, it was a job. They, they paid and everything. So um, then I went to the Soviet Union after I graduated. And the book goes through how I kind of yeah, got Yeah, and, and that was kind of seminal in, in your approach somewhat, I think, to your more conservative leanings. Yes. I mean, you always kind of were conservative. Right. But but you actually experienced socialism slash communism. When you see how it actually works for the people, it is the most horrendous form of government you could ever imagine. And it it breaks my heart today in today's culture to see that a lot of our a lot of our young people, they don't understand what they're asking for when they say, oh, we want socialism, because they think it helps people. Because when you hear about socialism in the classroom, theoretically, it sounds good, but it's never worked in practice, and it's been nothing but misery everywhere it's been tried. And I spent a month in the Soviet Union, and I'm telling you, that place was, it was horrendous. It was just, you can't imagine it when you live in the system that we have, and all the things we have to offer, and all the things that we take for granted these people had nothing, and yet, you know, like, oh, socialist workers paradise. No, it's not. It was it was horrendous. So, you um, worked at Channel Ten. You, I, you did. 
Yes. Get after, away, yeah, I don't know. I remember seeing you doing sports, and, well, but you were also a reporter. From, after I got back from the Soviet uh-huh. Union, then I finished up my grad and my degree. I took my last course, and I talk about that. And, and that was hilarious. That was... <laughs> I have to say, that was the funniest thing I've ever read. Your experience with it was a women's studies class or something crazy. I needed three credits. (laughs) That's all I needed to finish up my degree. So I petitioned the the dean and said, can I please take this course up at the University of Buffalo? You know, because I'm living up there to save me on expenses and everything else. That was all I needed. And then I, you know, and while I was up there, I was also looking for, you know, sending out resume tapes and trying to get into TV. Sure. And... So they, they allowed me to do that. And so I was, it was a summer course and I needed to get it finished that summer. And I'm looking and the only things they've got to offer are these few women's studies courses. And this one was called Racism and Sexism in the Media. Uh, okay. And I thought to myself, well, it's media. It can't be sure. bad. Yeah, right. That's kind of in your so field I of study. It. Yeah, you, you were sort of a, had a big target on you though. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, get the book and, and read that second. It's it's pretty hysterical. But so you do, you know, work in broadcasting. How long were you working in the business? Well, the fir- uh, I was offered a job in Tampa as a writer mm-hmm. for a, an affiliate in Tampa. But then KWTX came and offered me a job that fall um, as a reporter. So I thought, well, I, you know, reporting is better than just writing. So sure. I, I took it and started, what, uh, January 1st, 1982. Okay. And then I was there for probably maybe a couple months. And then the station manager, a gentleman named Ralph Webb, people in this area would remember well. Oh, I know him well, yeah. I knew him well. He came up to me at one point, you know, like a month or two into it. And he goes, "Uh, Rabbi, I'm going to need your... (laughs) (laughs) That's how he talks. Oh, no, he did. (laughs) I'm going to need your sports tape. And I'm like, I don't have a sports tape. And he goes, well, you need to get me one. Well, I said, Mm. well, I don't want to do sports. And he goes, yeah, you do. You're going to do sports. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, and you pretty much do what they suggest you sure. might Sure. And, and it wasn't do. that I didn't want to do sports. It was yeah, just that... I hadn't I, been thinking about that. I hadn't been thinking about mm-hmm. it because I just, I hadn't been thinking about it. I mean, I'm, yeah. a, nut, I'm a sports nut like any young guy, but it was like... <laughs> so, okay. yeah. So they needed me to fill in for John Morris, who mm-hmm. was moving over to weekdays, and they wanted me to take over for him on weekends. Do weekends, yeah. Which yeah. was fine with me. Chuck Williams was probably still... Chuck was gone. He had already left by then. Well, no, I, I take that back. He was the head of production back yeah. then. You're right. Mm-hmm. He was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I worked there too. <laughs> so I know a lot of those people from back in those days. Well, yeah. to me, it was good because the weekends is when all the sports happened. And mm-hmm. this was right before ESPN had really gotten established. So people got their sports news or their sports information from local news. Oh, yeah. And so when I started off, we would do, I was told, you know, you're going to get four minutes to do your sports cast. That's fine. But as it developed, I mean, I just had more and more, you know, I would put in whatever I could put in because I felt like people wanted to see it. Well, our ratings kept growing. I mean, our ratings were fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I'd get the news producers at times, they'd come up, hey, Rob, can you take any extra time? We just don't have anything. I'd say, sure. Add it to sports. (laughs) By the time I left, I was averaging like 10 minutes. Oh, really? A sports Well, on weekends, you know, that kind of makes sense. Oh, there were times where I would have 16 minutes, 12, you know, 16 minutes. Oh, my goodness. And news would have like 10. Oh, wow. It was crazy, but it, you know, it worked out. Yeah, well, so folks knew you. You had name recognition. You also, right. had, when did you start your business, Double Tape, which is still I actually started that while I was working at KWTX. It was one of those things, uh, I kind of did it on the side. I saw a need um, that people were, um, you know, looking for duplicating tapes. And so I thought, well, let me, I can do that. 
And so I started in the back room of my house, and I was working full-time at KWTX five days a week. Uh, and then I was doing this seven days a week, double tape, once mm-hmm. it started off. And then like three years before I left, they came to me and said, hey, uh, or I, I can't remember if I went to them or they came to me. But anyway, we agreed that I would just do weekends and then fill in whenever they needed me, which turned out to be quite often. But I, so my last three or four years there, I, I was only working on weekends, but I filled in all the time for John Morris or others that would, you know, that would uh, need time off, you know, in the sports department. But you did do a lot of reporting and you did political reporting and. I was our political reporter before I went straight just to sports. Mm -hmm. I I was our political reporter during the week. And then on weekends I would do sports. That's kind of how they did things back then. And I kind of gravitated towards politics because it was kind of sport-like in nature. It, you know, it's competition. And, uh, and I, it just interested me. And yeah. so that's kind of where, and I talk about that in the book, where there were certain things that, you know, happened and began to lead me in that direction of getting interested in it. But as a small businessman, you know, you had your plate full. I mean, you were busy, but... Um, I was working you, seven days a week, 10 yeah, hours a day. I mean, you're working, working really hard. Crazy. So... I, I love this quote from your book, Locked, and, and you quote a friend of yours who was a Democrat county chairman mm-hmm. who said, lots of people talk about running for office, but very few have the courage to actually do it because win or lose, it truly changes your life. Yes. Now, you're, you're here to say that's true. Well, it, you know, in my case, I, I tried to keep it as much as possible from changing my life. Um, and I talk about, there was a couple of early runs that I made in a primary. And, uh, you know, the, the first one, it, I, it happened accidentally. I was basically keeping my word to the incumbent of all things, who was my customer at the time, Chet Edwards. And we had a meeting. It was crazy. It's, a, it's in the book. It's a crazy story. It makes no sense. But <laughs> that's what happened. And I, and I just made sure I didn't, you know, I realized once I got in, I couldn't, I didn't want to damage myself. Um, for future financially. Yes, because let's talk about the money. That that really seemed to be a big thing in that just raising raising the money. And you had a consultant come in and give you just a stack of names and lists. And, and you were thinking they were going to help you raise money. But right. no, as you get to cold call all these <laughs> people exactly and say, right. you'd like to give me money, wouldn't you? you know, I th- and, and honestly, that's I, I would think that that's the worst part about all this. Yeah, especially for me. And again, that's one of the things I talk about in the book. For me, it was just so strange. I was a businessman. I'd always kind of done everything on my own. I put myself through college. And this doesn't mean I'm better than anybody else. It just meant that was my mindset all along is that anything I do, I need to do it. And the thought of asking people for money um, just was difficult for me. And even when you get to the point where um you know, I, I talked about it in the book at one point where I felt, I felt after I lost, I felt so bad about the people that had given me money. I honestly, internally, I'm like, I need to pay them back. I need back. to pay them back. Because I lost. Yeah. I, I didn't do what I said I would do. I didn't, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't win. So therefore, it, it just kind of hit me in that mindset, which is kind of funny. I'm not a politician. That's just not what I was, even though I was accused of it. <laughs> In the massive ad attacks that I got hammered with. Yeah, so let's talk about the the dirty tricks and the and and what you uh, the, the slings and arrows and so forth. And I, I'm sure you had to know that was going to be part of the deal. But 
but I think were you a, a bit surprised at just how vitriolic it was and just how how mean seemingly mean spirited it was the attacks? You know, it, it, it's something that I I expected um, from the other side. What shocked me the most, and that's what I talk about in the book, was that I can. I expect it from the other side, but it's the primaries where that, that's got to be so hard. Yes, because it is. because you're you're you want to be the last man standing, you know, right. when it comes to the general election, right? And and yet you expose things about your opponent or whatever, and then in the general, then the you know the other side has got even more fodder, I guess. Well, you know, I could take it, and, and that's one of the things I I, I try to explain is that. For instance, in a, in a contested primary, if you're in the same party, generally you're all going to kind of agree on the issues. You, you would get, think, yeah. You get some variation, but debates and forums and all that, it starts to get a little old if all you're hearing is, yeah, I agree with so-and-so. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, you need to distance yourself somehow. So what happens, especially when you get the professional you know, um, folks involved, the goal becomes to either to, to destroy your, many times it becomes you destroy your opponent to make yourself look better. And so that's when things get really horrendously nasty. And people forget, for instance, um, a lot of the things that are brought up, even on a presidential level, people go, oh, uh, like this, this Republican candidate brought this up about Hillary or something. And when you dig deeper, you go, oh, well, that actually originated in the Democratic primary uh, and the Republicans oh, yeah. just took it. So mm. that's where a lot of the real nastiness comes in is in the, the contested primaries. And, and I, I can say from actual living proof, that is true. Um, it happened in my case. And I mean, it, it, things just got really ugly when the stakes get higher. And you got, a lot of, you got people with a lot of money on the line. They, you know, they'll do what they're told to do or they'll do whatever it takes to. Well, and getting back to the money, it, it almost seems like the candidate needs to have a vast resource behind him, you know, personal wealth or whatever, you I, know, I to, to make too. a go of it. Because, I mean, you are truly a small businessman, not independently wealthy, just passionate about your beliefs. You can win. There are occasions where that does happen. Mm -hmm. But, and again, I kind of allude to that in the book, it, especially in the contested primaries, if you've got the personal wealth, that's what can be the difference. And that usually is the difference. Because for most people, you're just trying to get your name ID out. So it takes a lot of money. For, the, for example, the first race I ran in, um, I came up against two Republican opponents in the primary. And I didn't know... The one guy filed, like, I filed on the last day with two hours to go. I didn't know this guy from Temple showed up with an hour to go. If I had known he was going to be in a race, I would have never run. Oh, yeah. But but I thought the person that everybody knew was running, I just, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I felt like this guy could not win. Mm -hmm. And I knew him, I got to know him, and other people in this area got to know him, and they were like, Rob, you can't win, you need to do something. So... I ended up running. Well, these two guys, they ended up both spending about $250,000 each just in our little three-way primary. And I was like, I'm not. And, you know, one of them borrowed. The other was calling on personal resources. But I ended up just, I spent like $12,000. And I got 20% of the vote. But I wasn't going to put myself into debt 
and destroy myself financially um, to do the race. I wanted to win, but at the same time, it was kind of, I'm not going to be stupid about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did the best I could, and I did actually pretty well for what I did. Yeah, for somebody who, who really understands the media, or a member of the media uh, as well, uh, understand how television news works and all that, to find yourself on the receiving end, ha- how was that? You know, open the paper and you see your name plastered across the headlines as, you know... It's violating I, campaign laws and oh, stuff like that. Yeah, that was the biggest. That was the biggest heartache for me because I was always fighting the local newspaper here. They were literally acting as front people for my opponent. I mean, it was just that blatant. Kind of like the national news media. Now they've pretty much taken all pretense down, and they're they're going to support one. Um, I, of course, pa- papers have had the luxury of endorsing candidates. So in a way, that's sort of expected. You know, broadcast never was supposed to be like that. Right. Um, but but papers, it was always just that unusual thing that they could line up behind it. Their editorial board could line up behind a candidate. And, well, you and, know that happened. But theoretically, you would think their reporters would still be a little bit right. more balanced. And, well, I wasn't even going to go to the first one. And again, I talk about it in the book. I wasn't even going to go to the editorial board meeting with these guys because I knew there was absolutely no chance in earth that they were going to. Yeah, and I tell a funny story about the reporters in the newsroom that were friends of mine in the in the newspaper newsroom. Mm-hmm. When they saw me, hey, what are you doing here? I'm I'm here to to get the endorsement, you know, to, to talk to your editorial board about endorsing. And uh, I, I said, I don't think I have a dog's chance in Hades of getting it. And they kind of, <laughs> and they, they kind of laughed when the one guy, the one reporter looked at me and he looks at me seriously and he goes, well, you, you know, it, it could happen. And there was just silences between the three of us as we just kind of looked and then we looked and we all, <laughs> we just burst out <laughs> laughing. Right, yeah. The whole newsroom, everybody's heads started looking up because the three of us are laughing hysterically. Okay, that's never going to happen. <laughs> but it was just brutal. I mean, it was, yeah, and, and the way yeah. they did things, and, and again, I, I don't care. I'm a big boy. I can, I'm not crying or moaning about it. It was surprising to me, um, yeah. I mean, uh, that I was being attacked, uh, you know, I didn't expect the the level of intensity mm-hmm. and how they would do it. It was literally like I was facing two candidates at once, mm. and you know it's just, but that's the nature of the beast. And again, it, I'm not whining. I'm not crying. I'm just saying this is what happened here. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Now there was you know there were times where um, you know my wife would be in tears. Uh, right, because during from the time you started running and you know in these various races, you know you did get married, and now you've got. Uh, you know, your wife and, and women tend to take, they, they don't necessarily have the tough skin that you have to have. Well, the first two when... forays I made into it were in the primary. And like I said, it was just kind of, and I talk about the second run, which really I didn't, I didn't mean to do. And that sounds silly, but I thought I had support that I didn't have. And again, I thought it was going to be a two-way race against. And so once I got in and things happened and I saw right away that, oh, I'm not going to have the funding that I was promised. I'm like, but I'm not going to quit, but I really shouldn't be in this race. And so, but it was in between that time, like over four years, a couple other candidates had come down here, supported fully by the Republican Party. They had millions of dollars to spend. Dick Cheney even came down here and campaigned for one of them. And I, I helped uh, at least one of them. Um, but they got destroyed, um, even though they had millions and everything. So nobody was going to run in 2008. Nobody. And I was sitting in a restaurant with a, a 
the person who would be my best man. We were talking about my upcoming wedding that year. Um, I was finally engaged to my long time on again, off again, back and forth love of my life. And we were talking about the wedding and this judge happened to walk by and he goes, Rob, would you ever consider running for Congress? And I said, again, and I said, uh, no, I'm going to get married. You know, I, I, I've done that. You know, I'm not, I'm going to just move on. And, and I'm, I'm worried about my wedding. And, you know, it's first time for both me and my wife. It was a big deal, even though we were both in our 40s. It was a big deal. And he goes, well, we can't get anybody to run against Chet Edwards. I said, what? I said, you know, this was only in July. And I said, well, surely somebody will come along and run. He goes, Rob, nobody wants to get killed, so nobody will do it. I said, well, if nobody does it, fine. I'll put my name on the ballot just so we have a choice. So there's a name, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah that's all it was, and I meant it. And, mm-hmm. and he goes, would you really? I said, well, yeah, but, but somebody will run. Somebody else will come in. And I said, it's not, somebody always does. Somebody will jump in, and if they do... They can have it. I'm not going to get involved in contested primaries. I'm just not interested. And he goes, well, can I pass that along to folks? And I said, well, uh, you know, the folks that in mm-hmm. power circles here for Republican power. And I said, well, sure, but somebody's going to jump in. No, but uh, yeah, if nobody jumps in, fine. I will put my name on the ballot. So we at least have a choice. So he walks off. So my friend is sitting across the table from me, and we kind of look at each other, and I go, what just happened? He goes, you just volunteered to run for Congress <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> and so anyway, to make a long story short, the calls kept going on back yeah, and forth. Yeah. And I got married. We went on our honeymoon. And when I, you know, it was like, Rob, we, we really would like you to go if you'd be willing to go. Because you've got name ID. People mm-hmm. know who you are. Yeah, right. You You'd can run communicate before. the issues well, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, well, okay. And I was up in Buffalo for Christmas with my in-laws. My wife was up there, and when it was determined, okay, if I don't go, nobody's going to go. I, I kept my word, but I made them not tell anybody. I didn't want my name out there because, if again, I didn't care if somebody walked in off the street down in Austin and said, I'm going to run, I, was, I would they be They could out. have it, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the deadline came up. It was early January. So I had to leave um, our Christmas uh, break up there, left my wife and everything, came back down here to file and I talk about the story of how that all went mm-hmm. down, which was really fascinating. There's so much in the book. I, yeah, it's there hard really for me is. to talk about it. There's yeah. just so much. Yeah, there, it, was, it was an interesting um, period of time politically in Central Texas, how the pendulum shifted so dramatically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's great. Well, so any, any other races in you, you planning to run for anything? Um. <laughs> Um, <laughs> come on, Rob. You know, I've been asked that a lot and yeah. I've all, actually, I, let me just say this much. It sounds like all we're talking about is negative things in this book. Right. I'm not just talking negative things. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of positive aspects to running for oh, office yeah. and, and things that I very much. Sweet stories about the couple that gave you their son's that's coat right. and things like that. It makes you want to cry. I'm serious. Right. There were times where I had to fight back tears mm-hmm. when you saw the level of support yeah. and and I mean and I'm like I'm not worthy I'm just I'm just I'm just some Yahoo candidate and you're putting so much faith in I mean I talked about how people were saying you're going to be president someday and I'm uh-huh. like you're I laughed in somebody's face when yeah. they said that yeah. I was I was like you're kidding and, you know I'm, I'm like you can't be serious and when I saw they were serious I'm like oh, oh well, well thank you but <laughs> yeah there 
a lot of people put a lot of faith in me mm-hmm. and I was vetted. People know who I am right. and my warts were, were exposed and some of them weren't really warts. They were concocted issues, which is another thing you face. Mm-hmm. But that being said, if I'm called to run, I will run. I feel like we are in a really tough time in this country right now. And the one, the one, the one thought that keeps coming to my head all the time, it's a very old saying, evil flourishes when good men do nothing. And that I've held close to my heart because we've got to get good people in because if we don't get good people in on our side, the other side fills the vacuums and it's a terrible thing to behold because we're seeing it now. And so, yeah, if, if, if things work out, my wife and I did lay out a fleece that, Lord, if you want us to run mm-hmm. again, um, supply us the, fu- the funding. Right. And we've had some miraculous possibilities in that regard. And so I'm not going to say never. I will be open to whatever I'm supposed to do, but I'm not looking at this point to do anything. Okay. Very good. Well, I like to end these visits with a questionnaire similar to the one the late, great James Lipton used on Inside the Actor's Studio. Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? I yeah. do. Okay, what's your favorite word? My favorite word? Yeah. <laughs> Anti-disestablishmentarianism. There you go. <laughs> okay, <laughs> what, what's, your, what's your least favorite word? <laughs> my least favorite word? Oh, my goodness. Um, socialist, communist. Yeah. That's two words. I'm sorry. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, emotionally? When you say what turns me on, mm-hmm. you what what excites you? Creatively? I feel like we're I'm gonna sound I'm gonna get it's gonna start to start to sound maudlin here, very morbid, but we're only on this earth for a short period of time. And I, as a Christian, I believe that of course there's an old saying and that I had a little plaque on my wall in my bedroom when I was growing up. Um, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That, that, that's always kind of stuck with me. I don't know why, but, you know, so we need to have a purpose. And, and I feel like in, in my, if there's anything I can do to help save or help hold on to what is, what I consider to be the greatest gift God has ever given the world, and that's America, I mean, these founding fathers, it's the only country that was ever founded on the concept of freedom, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That was never done anywhere before. And now I feel like there's elements in our society that literally want to throw that away. And as long as I have breath in me, I am going to do everything I can to oppose, to stop them, and to further our own cause. Everybody says, well, the conservatives only say no. You know, because we're just the, the party of no. Well, when people are trying to change a good thing, you have to say no. If you don't say no, they it only seems to go. You don't know what you've got till it's gone. Well, I think you've answered then what turns you off creatively, <laughs> spiritually, <laughs> or emotionally. So what sound do you love the most? Sound? Mm-hmm. Well, you are stumping me. Um, what sound do I love the most? Um, is there some psychological thing to these questions you're asking me? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> like, is it going to tell me I'm crazy if I don't <laughs> say certain things? I, no, it could be anything. I mean, people, I ask all my guests One single questions. sound. Well, 
if there's a sound. Like, are you talking yeah. about like music? Are you talking? Yeah, maybe if that's it. Or... Well, I like music. Okay. Very much or into water. music. A lot of times people will say water. They like I the like, sound of the ocean sure. and that kind of, because it's calming. So what is your least favorite sound? Car crash. Okay. I've, cause I've heard enough of those in the work we do at my company. We do a lot of legal work Yeah. and you see videos and. Oh man. And it's, some of it's pretty, pretty mm-hmm. bad stuff. What other profession would you have liked to try? Airline pilot. Really? I have my private pilot's license, but I would have always loved to have been an airline pilot. But I had I wore glasses because I jammed scissors in my left eye when I was a little kid. Ugh. And so I never saw perfectly out of that eye and back yeah. then. But airline pilot or or working for NASA. And I was offered a job at NASA back in the 90s. And I had to make a decision and I agonized over it. And finally chose to stay with my business here. But I could have been a video producer for NASA, which oh, would have been my fantasy. Awesome. That would have been awesome. Yeah, too. Yep. Uh, what job do you know you would not want to do? Um, working in a slaughterhouse. Yeah. We but enjoy eating meat. but We do, but I try not to think about it because I love animals. Yeah. And <laughs> that would be tough. Yeah. All right. Finally, what do you want to hear God say to you as you enter the pearly gates? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm sure everybody says that, but for me, that's, I mean, I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I'm not trying to be better than anybody else. I'm trying to, I've always lived with an example, I've tried to be an example as my witness, mm-hmm. um, especially when you're someone who has kind of a high visibility position like I had, um, you know, being on TV. I always operated within the thoughts that no matter where I go, no matter what I do, people are going to kind of know who people in this area know who I am. And um, if I don't live like I talk like I should be living, then I'm I'm a phony hypocrite. So that's what I've always tried to, to live by that. Thank you, Rob. Rob Kernock, author of Dead Man Running. Where can I get a copy of the book? Everywhere that books are sold. Uh, I'm serious. It's, <laughs> That's it's, fun to say that. Isn't it? it is fun. It's, 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 it's <laughs> I didn't even know. Honestly, I didn't even know the book was out until somebody showed up in my shop that had ordered it, picked it up at Barnes and Nobles and wanted me to sign it. <laughs> oh, really? I was like, oh, it's out. Oh, there it is. But yeah, it's Barnes and Nobles, Walmart, um, uh, Amazon, Amazon, eBay, places I've never heard of. Denmark, I saw somebody sent me a link there that it's selling in Denmark for like really? 45 kroners. <laughs> so it's all, all over. Right, see, you're still still famous there. Rob <laughs> sure. Kernock, thank you so much. It's been fun. Well, thank you for having me, Anne. I really appreciate it. And, and I hope everybody, if they want to learn some good things, will pick up the book. I think they'll find it very fascinating. Central Texas Living is part of the Rogue Media Network family. Be sure to check out their other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate us five stars on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Living, the podcast. Why am I here? I'm here to be your tour guide through Waco. I'm here to tell you all the goings-on in and around Waco. I'm going to give you the 411 on what's happening, what's going on, and what events you should go to. This is your host, Debbie, signing off. Now that you know, 
go. Just go, Waco. Are you building a new business while managing a family? Are you tired of trying to balance home and work and everything seems to be coming up short? Then there's a podcast made just for you. Baking Your Business from Scratch is where we create the perfect recipe for building a successful business while managing your home and family with love. Come join us and see for yourself. Are you building